Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, I just want to say good morning to all of you at all of our campuses, because today we're beginning a four-week sermon series entitled Reclaiming Irresistible. And um, here, here's why what this whole series is built on. About 26 years ago, and that really makes me feel old because some of you, you weren't even born 26 years ago. But 26 years ago next month, in fact, in the month of October, and this series is going to go into October, and part of the reason that we're having this conversation is because about 26 years ago, there was a small group of us, about 35 of us, that committed to creating, or the, really the dream, it was really committed to the dream of creating a church that not only church people would feel welcome to and love to attend, but also people who were not part of the church would feel welcome to or really didn't consider themselves to be church people, they would feel welcome and love to attend as well. In fact, you might even want to write this down. Our, our goal as we launched out in that dream, it was to inspire unchurched people to follow Jesus. And then even, I think this was probably even a bigger deal for us, and that was to equip the church people to love like Jesus. So don't miss that. So our goal was, it was to inspire unchurched people to follow Jesus, but really then the other bigger challenge for us was to like equip church people to love the world around them like Jesus. And, and to this day, that has been our vision. We've never lost that vision because then, I mean, especially even then and even now as much so, we have like friends and family members who do not find the idea of church or attending a church appealing to them at all. But here's what's so interesting about that. While we know people back then and we know people now that, that really resist church and they find church very resistible, here, here's what we've discovered over the years. Those same people, they don't resist Jesus. And because Jesus, when you study the life and the ministry of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the gospels that, that describe his life, when, when you discover that Jesus is so irresistible, and as we looked at that and we go, wow, people who were not like Jesus, they really liked Jesus and he liked them back. And so we've believed like from day one that it was really possible to create a place that unchurched people would feel welcome to and love to attend, that they, they could feel like they, they belonged before they believed. And then we felt like it was possible to really create a place where church people would truly love people like Jesus. But in order to do that, we spent a lot of times over the years just thinking about and asking about and trying to understand why so many people find the church so resistible, especially in, in the 21st century. And here's what we all know when we really stop and think about it. Like over the last 40 or 50 years, especially in the last 10 or 20 years, I mean, there has been a lot of changes in our culture. But here's the thing, our goal for this four-week conversation that we're going to be having is not to directly address any of those. But what we want to do over the next four weeks is we want to address how that the church in general, but more specifically our church family in all the communities that we're in, how that we specifically should and could and, and, and will respond, like how we will behave and in a really rapidly changing culture in which we live. 
So here's what we know. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, we, we, we believe that you're going to find this conversation very helpful and very challenging. And if you're here today on any of our campuses and, and, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't consider yourself to be a church person and you don't even really know about this whole God thing, we think you're actually going to love these next few weeks. And, and you may even agree with us more than most people who call themselves Christ followers. In fact, you might find yourself thinking something like this. Well, if Christians lived like that, if Christians really acted like that, then I might want to be one. And that is absolutely our prayer for you as we have this conversation. Now, as I said, over the last 40 to 50 years, but especially the last 10 to 20 years, we've seen a lot of cultural change, both from a legal and also from a moral perspective in terms of like what's acceptable and like what's popular opinion on a wide variety of, of different um, ideas and ideology out there. In fact, most people, they would say something like this. They would say that we live or we are predominantly a post-Christian culture. Like people have been there, done that, they've tried it, they're done with it. See, if you really say, want to boil down, kind of give a definition of like what a post-Christian culture is, it would mean this, that Christian beliefs and worldviews no longer like hold central position as, as the influential, you could say influential position in our society or in our culture. Like Christian beliefs don't predominantly shape the behavior of the majority of the people in our culture or our society. Now, while there are some that are indirectly or we are in some ways indirectly influenced by like Christian ideology, in, in a lot of ways, um, most people are just not even aware of it. Now, some of you might be sitting there, you're thinking something like this. Well, aren't the majority of people in America like Christian? Well, in a general sense, you could say that. I mean, in a general sense, because 70 to 80% of Americans, they still identify themselves as a Christian. But the reality is Christian doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. But so, so like when you narrow the definition of a Christian down to people who actually believe and try to follow Jesus and his teaching, don't miss that, people who actually believe and try to live out and follow the teachings of Jesus, most sociologists agree that there's about only 22 million Americans that fit that definition. And that's only about 7% of the population of America. Now, to kind of put that in perspective, the number of people who believe and try to follow Jesus' teachings is close to the number of people that live in Florida. I mean, think about it. Sociologists say there's about 22 million people who really truly believe in Jesus and, and seriously take serious his teachings and try to follow them. Well, the state of Florida has like 21.5 million people in it. So the number of people in our nation that take Jesus' teachings seriously and really try to follow them and live them out and love like Jesus did is really about the size of the population of Florida. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to bore you with all the details and all the history of how we ended up here as a nation. But, but the short answer is this. Over the past few decades, what has happened is Christians have lost their influence in this culture. And here's why. Because we have handled it so poorly. See, like everything that God gives us, influence is a stewardship. 
And not only is it a stewardship, it's a temporary stewardship. And we are accountable to God for how we manage that. And what has happened is over the last 40 years, Christians let their influence They let what they thought was power, but it wasn't. They let their influence, their power go to their heads. And here is what happened, or here's what Christians did over the last 30, 40 years. We used our power to make a point. Like generally speaking, Christians, we as Christians, we didn't take the influence that we had in our culture and use it to love others like Jesus loved us. We didn't use it in our culture to do good. We tried to use it to force people to believe and behave just like us. So we used our power to make a point. The other thing we did is we used our dollars to demand our way. Now, most of you know that I I grew up in the Mennonite tradition, and and while I really appreciate my heritage, like more times than I can count on my hands, or my fingers, I should say, um, we were challenged to boycott companies, or we were challenged to boycott places or people in an attempt to like force them to do what we wanted them to do. Now, that wasn't just true about Mennonites. I mean, that was like true of almost every mainline church out there. I mean, like, we were going to boycott places. I mean, we challenged to boycott places, all these things. And, and the thinking behind all those different church denominations was this. Like, if we could somehow strong-arm people and politicians and organizations into behaving the way that we wanted them to behave, that we would use our power to do that. And here's the thing. While using power to make a point or using dollars to demand our way, in the minds of the people who kind of organized that, I mean, it was all about trying to bring good and bring God into our culture. But when you think about it, power and demands, that's a terrible approach. Like, like treating people, any person, by powering up on them or demanding things from them. I mean, that doesn't accomplish anything if you really stop and think about it. All it does is just alienate people. In fact, none of us, if you really stop and think about it, nobody likes it when, we, when somebody powers up on them. None of us do. Nobody likes it when we demand something of them. I mean, like, none of us do that. In fact, if you really stop and think about it, it was that kind of behavior, the powering up behavior, the demanding behavior from Christians, if you stop and and just really pause to go, wow, that was the experience of so many people that were part of the church. And it caused some of you to say, I don't want anything to do with the church or to refuse to ever go back to church. Because like you experienced that kind of behavior from some Christians and so you watched the ch- or you watched the church do that to some of your friends or some of your family. And so what you did is you ran the other way. And it is why there are so many people in our communities, in our culture in America that find the church and the message of the church so resistible. So here's the thing. If you've been on the receiving end of that kind of arrogance, where there's just like this powering up or this demanding, like here's what we believe is so important to be reminded of. And that is this, Jesus never treated people this way. Not once can you find that. 
Like he had all the power and he had every legitimate reason to demand his way and to power up on people and demand people do certain things. Like he's God of the universe. But that was not the example that he set into relating to people. Instead, here's what Jesus did. He leveraged his power to express and show his love to others. I mean, think about it. John 13 says this in John 13, verse 1. It says, and Jesus, knowing that all power and authority had been given to him, and this time was near. You know what it says he did? When he, when he did, when he all of a sudden realized that he had all power available to him in all the universe, he was the greatest power on earth. It says he picked up a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. He leveraged his power to express love to others. And then he told him, he says, now I want you to do for others what I have done for you. Which is why when Jesus was here on earth, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. In fact, one of the most interesting things, and I've told you this before, I wish you might want to write it down. And that is people who are nothing like Jesus. They like Jesus and he liked them back. See, that's the way of Jesus. So it shouldn't surprise us when we look back on the history of the church for the last 30 or 40 years and, and you realize that powering up on people is not the way of Jesus and using power to make a point or using dollars to make demands, it really backfired on Christianity. And the result of that is Christianity has lost a great deal of influence on our current culture. And the church to most people in our communities is just seen as very resistible. But unfortunately, there's still too many Christians that don't live like Jesus. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are still using this tactic and, and in re all reality, making the situation so much worse. In fact, one of the things that's interesting is next year is this big election year, right? And I've just been so amazed as I've watched Christians begin to panic over what might happen with the election. And people start talking about how bad our country is and how the world has never been worse than it is. And the point of bringing that out is that a lot of Christians view, a lot of Christians view that being a post-Christian America or Christianity being a minority is a crisis. But here's the thing that might surprise you. As a church, we're convinced that the fact that we are a minority now, it presents us with this very, very incredible opportunity. In fact, you might want to write this down. This is the world we've been called to. God has placed us here for this time. And we have an extraordinary opportunity to make the church irresistible again. In other words, like we are part of this culture at this time in history because God has placed us here. And we have this extraordinary opportunity to share the kind of love that Jesus loved us with. And we have this extraordinary opportunity to share with people what we're experiencing God doing in and through our lives. Like we get this incredible opportunity to live out his love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness with a world that does not see that kind of love demonstrated anywhere else. Now, here is the reason we say this, that we have this incredible opportunity because we're a minority. This is not the first time that followers of Jesus have found themselves in a minority position. 
See, we tend to forget how anti-Christian the first century was. Like in the first century, Christians had no power, they had no influence, and in many cases, they had no resources. I mean, in the first century culture, might made right, and whoever had the power made the rules. Like in the first century, the values and the teachings of Jesus, they were absolutely considered impractical, irrelevant, unimportant, like nobody valued compassion passion, mercy, integrity, and grace, like nobody valued human life. Women were treated as property, not people of equal value and dignity, like babies were thrown in the ditches to die, especially female infants. Like human life in first century was generally just considered very cheap. But then Christ followers came along and they engaged their culture in a way in the way of Jesus, by using the love of Jesus, and it changed the world, and they give us this incredible example for how to live. So to get us started in this conversation, what I want to do today is, is I want to read to you from a portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Christians in Ephesus. And you got to understand that Ephesus was like the capital of the city of Roman, of a, of a Roman providence in Asia, basically. And it was like this large, multicultural, metropolitan area known for its sexualized and consumeristic kind of culture. So in many ways, its culture was very similar to our culture. And the Apostle Paul, he's teaching these Christians at Ephesus how to engage and how to respond to all that they are seeing and all that they're experiencing around them. In fact, notice what he says to them. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. So basically what he's saying to the Christ followers at Ephesus and to you and I, he says, listen, our responsibilities as followers of Jesus Christ is to simply follow the example that God has set for us. So if you want to know what to do in this culture, you just respond to the people around you based upon the example of God. Like you find your answer for how to respond to the culture around you by God's example. And what was God's example? It was Jesus in human flesh. So you find your answer by looking at what Jesus did and how Jesus responded to the people around him. So then you go, well, what is the question? Like, I haven't read all of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John that tell the story of Jesus' life and his example. Well, the Apostle Paul boils it down for us really quickly. Look what he says next. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, the way that we follow God's example in the culture in which we live is we learn to love like Jesus. We learn to walk in the way of love just as Jesus did. Now, make sure you understand this phrase, walk in the way of love, I mean, that's not referring to some kind of like sentimental, emotional, easy kind of love. I mean, th this is about loving people who don't love us. This is not about loving people who love us back. 
This is more than just loving people who agree with us. No, he says, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are responsible to demonstrate the same kind of sacrificial, supernatural, give yourself up for other people kind of love that Jesus demonstrated and he showed to all of us. Because when you really stop and think about it, I mean, it's really easy to kind of love people who love you, right? Like you don't have to have God's power in your life to do that. But there's nothing natural about loving people like Jesus loved people. You can't follow Jesus' example without his Holy Spirit power enabling you to do that. But I'm telling you, it's the kind of love that shines brightest in the culture that we live today. It's the kind of love that really made the church irresistible and the message of the church irresistible in the first century. And it's the kind of love that will make the church and the message of the church irresistible again in the 21st century. In fact, a few verses later, and if you want to go down and look at verse 8, the Apostle Paul, he, he says, Here, here's why this kind of love is so important. And he uses this powerful word picture to help us understand it. Notice what he says. For you were once darkness. Like, there was this time when you didn't get it right, he says. But you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So the apostle Paul says, listen, before you get all angry at the culture around you and you get all judgmental and self-righteous toward the people around you who don't live like or believe like you do, before you try to power up and make a point or before you try to use some dollars to demand your way, he says, let me remind you, you were once darkness. He says, and apart from Jesus, you, you would still be in darkness, he says, but now you are light in the Lord. So if it wasn't for Jesus' love for you, he's like, you still would be in darkness. But because of God's sacrificial love for you, God changed you. And now you begin to see life differently. You start seeing life from God's point of view. And that, that's literally what it means that you are now light in the Lord. It's like you're starting to see what life is all about. And it's living and following the example of Jesus and loving like Jesus. But he says, you weren't always that way. So don't look at people around you who don't act or believe like you and judge them and condemn them. He says, don't do that. He says, no, you and I are to look around at those around us and love. But the problem is, in fact, if you really want to talk about what the problem or what's wrong in our culture, it's not all the things that people who call themselves Christ followers try to point out. But the real problem in our culture is this is that Christians are loud, but they're not light. Like, like, we've been loud. I mean, people know, people in our communities, people in our nation, they know what Christians are against. They, they know what Christians don't like. Like, people know what we think about things. But they haven't experienced the light by experiencing the love of Jesus. They, they haven't experienced any love. We, we haven't followed Jesus' example. So the question becomes, what does it mean to be children of light? Well, the Apostle Paul, he goes on and defines it very clearly. Here's what he says. He says, live as children of light, 
For the fruit, literally the fruit of the Holy Spirit through our lives, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, and find out what pleases the Lord. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, here's some things that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be known for. Three things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, what do those mean? Well, goodness. What, what does goodness mean? Goodness means doing good. But it's not just doing good. Goodness means you're not just doing good for people you like or people like you. He's like, you should be doing good for those that are in need. You should be doing good for those people who can't do anything in return. And then he even takes it another level. If you find out what the will of what pleases God by looking at the life of Jesus, he goes, oh, and you should even be doing good for those people you consider your enemies. He's like, love your enemies. That's what pleases the Lord. And can you imagine if we as a church, if we who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, if we were known for doing good to everyone, everyone, all the time, can you imagine what kind of influence that might give us to point people toward the message of Jesus? Or, or how about this thing of righteousness? What is righteousness? Well, righteous means that we are people who walk justly, we do justly, we show mercy, we walk humbly, we extend kindness to everyone we meet in every situation. Think about that. If we extended kindness to every person that we met in every situation, like, couldn't people in our culture... Wouldn't they love to experience a little bit more kindness shown to them? Wouldn't they love that? I think that would speak to our culture. Or how about this thing called truth? Now, if you grew up in church, you have a completely wrong view of this thing called truth. Like, you, you probably have this idea that, you know, you're supposed to hit somebody in the mouth with the Word of God and make them love it or something, you know? Like, beat them up with the Bible. That's too oftentimes Christian's idea of truth. That's not what he's talking about here. Well, what if we could be trusted to be known as truthful people all the time? And what if we lived out Jesus' example because this is what pleases God? What if we spoke the truth in love? That I'm more concerned about you having a relationship with Jesus than getting my point. See, the apostle Paul says, listen, these things... Or just some of them. He gives a whole other list in the book of Galatians. He says, this is what makes followers of Jesus Christ irresistible. And imagine if we got back to living like this as followers of Jesus. I mean, do you think that we might earn the respect of the people in our culture, in our community, again, if we did that? Like, maybe the people who are nothing like us would actually like us like they did back in Jesus' time? I mean, don't you think that living like this would be more of an effective way to have influence in people's lives and to point them to Jesus instead of protesting and, and you know, speaking out against everything and making sure everybody knows what we're against? And See, the Apostle Paul, I, I think when you study the life of the Apostle Paul who grew up in a very anti-Christian culture, and lived in one, first century. 
He believed it's not really that complicated, even if you're a minority, to impact a culture that doesn't believe or behave like Jesus. He basically says, here's what you do if you are that, find yourself in that situation. You just walk in the way of love. And love just says, hey, we're for you. We're not against you, even when we don't agree with you. Which is why love always asks the question, like, what does love require? Not of them, but of me. Well, what does love require of me? You want to know how to respond to everything that is happening and changing in our culture? Like, what, what do you do when there are people around you that you disagree with? Like, how do you react and how should we react whenever values around us shift from what you and I value? Well, you do what love requires of you and, and you be the light and you love other people the way that Jesus loved you and the way that Jesus loved the people around him. And you just keep demonstrating your love through goodness and righteousness and truth. And not just with the people who think and live and believe like you do, but with people who think and live nothing like you and I live. In fact, really what love requires of us is especially with those who think and live nothing like we live. Like you just take every day, starting tomorrow morning, you take what you're experiencing God do in your life and through your life, and you begin to share that same love that you're experiencing with the people around you. And you give them a glimpse of God's goodness and God's grace and God's, God's forgiveness and his love through your actions and your interactions. You demonstrate integrity tomorrow morning and hard work and humility and wisdom and purity and kindness and compassion and respect to everybody that you work with and forgiveness to everybody that you interact with and self-control with all the people and all the places and all the times of your week this next week. And you let yourself be kind of, just be a follower of Jesus. See, that's the kind of example that Jesus set for us, and it made the first century church irresistible. And I'm telling you, it will make the 21st century church irresistible again. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to stop being loud and trying to make a point. We just have to start being filled with love and living with love and being light. We need to live our lives by sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, we got to share the kind of love that people actually would want to experience for themselves, which means for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, the question that we just got to keep coming back to if we're going to walk in the way of love is this, what does love require of me? What does it require of me? About a year ago, Somebody shared something with me that um, Beth Moore wrote, and um, it is really a great statement on why the church is so resistible and how we can reclaim being irresistible. Look, listen to what she says. What's not going to serve us well in this era is arrogance. We have to be willing to stare ourselves in the mirror and ask an honest question. Does anybody out there in the unbelieving world want what I have. Does anybody in the unbelieving world want what I have? If we have the love and the hope of Jesus and the joy of those who know they are forgiven and the security of those who know they are loved unconditionally, 
and the certainty of those who know where they're headed when this life is over? The answer to that question will be yes. However, if we're grossly self-righteous and condemning and lack humility and gentleness and grace and genuine love, we can't blame their resistance on being put off by Jesus. They'll be put off by us. We serve this world. That's what we're here to do. And we do it with humility and gentleness and patience and love. You know what Beth Moore is saying? She's saying the same thing the Apostle Paul says. She's saying love and the attributes of love flowing out of our life, that's the path to reclaiming irresistible. And what if we were all as individuals known for that? And here's what I know. We, we've talked about this over the last several years enough to, to kind of get this idea starting being anchored in our head and our hearts. But now I think the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I want you to live as children of light. He's saying, I want you to start doing this. I want you to start living it out. In fact, I believe that our church is positioned to do this, to make this extraordinary impact in our culture. That's why we're so excited about this four-week conversation. So over the next few weeks, like we're going to get really, really practical with you on how to live this out. We're going to look at some of the key behaviors that Jesus modeled for us. And then we're going to look at some of the key behaviors that his early followers practiced and that God used to make the early church irresistible and to change and impact their culture. In fact, we're going to look at the way that they really lived out this whole question, like what does love require of me in this moment, in this season? And it's, it's an incredible example they give us and an amazing game plan that they give us to follow. And we're going to talk about what does it look like to love loud instead of just being loud? And we're going to discover what it looks like to live a life of love in a culture that absolutely is filled with darkness and, and how to be the light, a, a light that people are drawn to in a culture that's filled with darkness. See, love is the light that we can share with those around us. And I'm telling you folks, if you go back and you study church history, when the church began to live love, the light of Jesus shone brightly. And I'm telling you, that's what earns us the opportunity to point people to Jesus. So this week, here's what we challenge you to do. Think about how you're living. How are you living? How did you interact with people? How did you treat people? What did you say to people? And then this week, make the commitment to say, no, no, no. I'm going to follow Jesus' example, and I'm going to live a life of love. Love that is demonstrated through goodness and righteousness and truth. I'm going to walk in the way of love. And daily, and sometimes it has to be moment by moment, ask yourself this question. Like, what does love require of me? What's it requiring of me? Here's our challenge to you. You be the light by living a life of love. And then let God just begin to use you to make the good news of the gospel where you work, in the home that you live in the community, in the neighborhood that you live every day. Make the gospel irresistible again. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for the good news of the gospel, that Jesus loved us, he died for us, he rose again. 
because God, you wanted to have a relationship with us and that you love us and you're not against us. Even when we get it wrong, you're still for us. And God, I pray that you'll help us begin to live that kind of love out. God, beginning this afternoon in our homes and then help us to take it into our neighborhoods and in our workplace. God, help us to take it into our friendships and our relationships. God, help us to be the light in a culture that is so dark. And I pray, I pray that you help us never to fear that Christians are the minority in our nation. God, with love, and we have the most powerful, extraordinary opportunity to really point people to Jesus Christ. Help us to be the light by living the example of love that you set for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to help us do this this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, we'll see you next week as we continue this conversation. Have a great week loving people.